0: It's the end of the
1: world as we know it, and I feel
0: fine. That's great, it starts with an earthquake, first takes an aeroplane, takes many brutes, not afraid. I have a listen to yourself, the world, with the don't need something, I mean, to your own head. Feed it up, and that's what got, no excuse, The ladder for the clatter, with the fear of fight down tight. Fire in the fire, resistance of the gangs and the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're it down, your neck. Border, the border traffic, the with that low plane, Overflow, and the the see the see the the world, you know me. your heart, show me the red room, the red room, the right. You, a like, right, mic, like, pretty It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And the
1: alternative,
0: tonight,
1: decline. It's the end of the world as
0: we know it. In the dark heart of the city a mysterious figure known as dr bones is just hanging out man <laughs> just hanging out are in the dark heart out? of the city
1: you are the dark heart of the city oh, oh wait, no, you're not. Sad. i'm the bright the, airy
0: heart i don't no, know
1: you're the angel of, oh angel heart of the city
0: oh my gosh <laughs> wow I have not, never been called that, the, not even by you. The
1: uh, angel heart? Yeah. Aw, well you should.
0: <laughs> well, you are my angel heart and this is yes. the hour of doom.
1: And bloom.
0: That's right friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a reservation of reverence. In a resistant world. (laughs) I'm Joe Halton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster.
1: And I'm Amy Alton. I'm also known as Nurse Amy, and I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife.
0: And together we are the prodigious pair, the geezer and the goddess, the courageous couple... The magical matrimony. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. That's right. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a churlish chipmunk? Well, our attorney says don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this.
1: All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care. Whenever and whenever it is available.
0: Ah, to my audience, I say, Are you not entertained? <laughs> ha, ha. Well, the miracle of modern technology, well, I'll tell you, that is wonderful. You save lives, you got research, you got equipment. But what happens in a disaster when the hospital isn't open and there's no ambulance to get you there, anyhow? Somebody's got to be the end of the line when it comes to keeping their people healthy in times of trouble. And you know what? That someone is you out there. So show the world you got more sense than a bag of onions.
1: Bag of onions. That's
0: right, and get some training <laughs> and education while you're at it. How about some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? What better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never-equaled medical kits at Net. They'll help you deal with medical issues you'll face in any disaster, and they're designed by yours truly, and honest-to-gosh, medical doctor, even if he's an old country doctor. (laughs) And hers truly an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Gosh, what else can you ask for? Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff, and you will agree our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. By the way, our kits are approved for your health or flexible savings account, too. Just ask us for the appropriate receipt. Amy's got the paperwork all it. leave it in a
1: message or email us. Or send a message through the website. Either
0: when you make either of
1: those will work. Any of those will work.
0: That's right. And you also, by the way, don't take our word for how awesome our kits are. Read our testimonials page at store.doomandbloom.net. See what other people have to say about our medical kits and our service. Hey, you know we learn as much from you as you do from us. That is painfully obvious. (laughs) So connect with the queen and the codger, and give us a 411, son. It is easy, and here's Nurse Amy to tell you how.
1: Absolutely. You can email us at any time at drbonespodcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, which is what you're listening to. Ah. (laughs) From the the old Dr. Bones, at AOL.com. Find us on Facebook, at Twitter at Twitter. Find us on
0: our Facebook at Twitter <laughs> and find us on Twitter at YouTube and find us on YouTube that, at that Facebook. That would be hilarious.
1: <laughs> we, we had a Facebook name at Twitter and a Twitter name called at Facebook.
0: Yes, actually, you know what? We sh- I, I, you know what? Good idea. I think me. I should do that. Although, I think Facebook probably has at Facebook has a Twitter page.
1: <laughs> You think Facebook has a Twitter page? Yes. Oh, no, that no, would I'll be betcha. too funny.
0: Betcha, betcha, betcha. No, come on. I'm sure Like, they,
1: they actually need extra music media attention. Right.
0: Well, that's
1: <laughs> anyway, oh gosh, that's hilarious. All right. So, no, so how do they really get in with We're actually <laughs> at Prepper Show on Twitter. <laughs> this is what I get for not looking at my papers. <laughs> I need more coffee, honey. Oh, let's see. Facebook, we have a Doom and Bloom page that will be sort of central for everything. We share pretty much everything we put out on there. We also have a Facebook group. Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. That's a fun one because people can interact.
0: Yes. It's, it's not just
1: us talking. And
0: Yep. And, several thousand people on that one.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you guys can interact with each other. Let's see. What else do we have? YouTube. YouTube. Yes. Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy is our YouTube channel. You can also probably find it by searching Doom and Bloom. Um, that's about it. I think our Twitter, our YouTube, how to contact us. This
0: podcast and, of course, our other uh, podcast, a current events podcast called American Survival Radio, which is broadcast from several radio stations, land-based radio stations throughout the U.S. of A, everywhere from Philadelphia to uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, as a matter of fact. And, of course, our good friends at the Prepper Broadcasting Network, Talk 365, (coughs) and so many other great Internet Radio Networks as well And don't forget about KYH KYAH radio in Utah which carries this podcast The Survival Medicine Hour as well Well let's see So what's the deal we have uh, an 8 hour class in Bozeman Montana Mm -hmm. That's going to be On August 4th And so if you are interested in learning About a lot of Important survival medical Information and Procedures and things like that Consider checking it, us out, and uh, we're going to be there August fourth. We're going to be actually at the Wilderness Medical National Wilderness Medical Conference the week before at Big Sky, Montana. we will be in Bozeman, Montana, and hopefully you will join us for our eight-hour class. You'll learn everything from how to stop bleeding to how to suture how, uh, a wound clothes, how and when to suture wound clothes, which is actually <laughs> much more important. Right. You learn to recognize. Uh, what let's say pneumonia or bronchitis sounds like on
1: uh, auscultation. S- that's
0: auscultation, which is means <laughs> by listening with a stethoscope.
1: We actually have a new stethoscope that I bought that is fancy schmancy. Yes
0: yeah, so you can actually hear it instead I of just charge it, it right. with a
1: USB and it amplifies the noise through not only through your earpieces, but uh, when I get around to actually downloading the app for it. We'll be able to hear it on the phone. Yes. Crazy. And they're gonna be coming out with an EKG also that you'll be able to hear yep. things. So
0: that's pretty awesome.
1: So we can record them and just amazing things. Yeah,
0: just lots of stuff that you'll learn. You'll Incredible. take home you'll take home some complimentary supplies as well. So check it out. Go to our website, at doomandbloom.net and look for the classes page on the main toolbar of of the main page. Well, you know, it's just after the 4th of July. I hope you got to see some fireworks. We did.
1: Yeah, it was so much fun.
0: That's right. And you may even have set off a few on your own that you got at the local Walmart or big box store, maybe grocery store. Well, an unlucky or maybe careless, few of you probably wound up running afoul of your own pyrotechnics. And all you have to do is ask my old buddy, Three-Fingered Fred, and he'll tell you that you know even though fireworks are legal in lots of states... The truth of the matter is Is that you gotta use them safely If you follow our blog You've seen my fireworks safety articles in the past I hope you took them to heart on Independence Day Let's face it The safest way to enjoy fireworks Is very simple Be a spectator at your hometown's 4th of July events Leave it to the pros Statistics show that from July 20, June 20th To July 20th Of every year uh, Let's say 2014 uh, Is one statistic I actually have in front of me Fireworks sent that year an average of 230 people to the hospital every day. There are actually nine deaths recorded that year, of which two were just innocent bystanders, not igniters. And uh, throughout 2014, there were more than 10,000 fireworks-associated injuries that were treated in emergency rooms. There have been a lot of improvements in fireworks safety in the last few years, but injuries from accidents are rising in any case. There were 349 injuries in Illinois alone in 2017 That's a 2,000 no 226% increase since 2008 And Amazing. of course, that's right None of these statistics take into account the damage caused by fireworks Due to buildings or out the inside or outside of structures And that's probably millions of dollars worth of damage there as well Most fireworks injuries, uh, let's say about 74% of them I think Involve the fingers, the hands, the face, including the eyes—really bad—and the head. Firework crackers are usually the main
1: uh, well, particular makes, that thing that, that's, right?
0: That's well. Some people actually like to hold the tip of a firework and actually let it explode ah. in their hand. Thinking they are very brave. And, That's not brave. But stupid, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> it's actually pretty stupid. And, of course, the majority of injuries are burned. Well, hopefully you don't have... It,
1: it is a stupid act, but um, sometimes alcohol is involved. Yes. In the influence of the judgment. Yeah. Oh, brother. <laughs> or That's the lack right. of judgment, we might say. All right. Well... <laughs>
0: uh, The truth is, I hope not because 57% of fireworks injuries are seen in children or teens. So I hope none of you guys are drinking out there before the legal age of consent. So uh, I guess the whole thing just tells you to unsupervised use of fireworks by kids. That's a very bad idea. That is something that you just don't want to see. Now I want to tell you, if you have to use fireworks for personal use, either for national holidays or just for the heck of it, You should have some safety tips in mind, and I have some from the website of the National Council for Fireworks Safety. There is actually such a thing. Yes. And I'm going to add a little common sense from yours truly here to (laughs) add to that. Now, of course, this is what they say. Only buy legal fireworks for personal use. Avoid fireworks that are wrapped in brown paper. Those are usually the type meant for professional displays. They're dangerous to the novice. As the old saying goes, when all else fails, read the instructions, right? Right. Now, so don't be a mad bomber and make your own fireworks. My gosh, you know, that is crazy. You'll probably be labeled a terrorist and get a visit from uh, the local uh, law enforcement agents. Use the stuff that is made by the pros. Now, of course, never allow kids to play with or ignite fireworks. You know, even sprinklers are dangerous do you realize that sprinklers reach a temperature of up to 2,000 degrees? Wow. That is crazy. That's as hot as a blowtorch. So that any fireworks event should be always closely supervised by adults. And the adults have a designated igniter that holds off on the alcohol until after the fireworks. That is a good idea. If you're going to be that igniter, wear safety glasses. Never place your body directly over a firework when lighting it. Never relight or pick up fireworks that are duds. Or have not ignited fully They may not be so duddy as you think Yes,
1: it could be sizzling in there And you just don't know it
0: That's right, always have a bucket of water Or a garden hose nearby In cases of fire or burns And don't put fireworks in metal cans Or glass jars as a base Uh, A lot of people do this with bottle rockets Because if these containers explode explode. Basically it's like a grenade The shards will act as shrapnel Light your fireworks one at a time, back off quickly after lighting a firework, and douse any spent fireworks with water. Now, one other thing that's very important important is never to point fireworks at another person. I've seen people take these Roman candles, which shoot off flares, I guess is what they are, and they shoot off five or ten, or they have a certain number, and people actually duel with these things. That is Shooting ex- at each other. Extraordinarily stupid.
1: Sounds stupid, stupid, very stupid. scary. Honey.
0: Absolutely. Um, you always have to be aware, by the way, of the laws in your town regarding fireworks. You obey them to the letter or you'll get a- another visit from your friendly neighborhood law enforcement officer. You know, a, lo- a lot of municipalities do forbid the igniting of fireworks after 11 p.m. Be aware of that. And well,
1: some people have to go to work the next day.
0: That's true. Well... One other thing Mm -hmm. Pets Pets Curiosity killed the cat So can fireworks Most cats and dogs Probably won't go Anywhere near them Of course But an investigatory Sniff Or two Might get them Into big trouble On the 4th of July Or on a national holiday Where you're shooting Off fireworks They might be happier And safer By the way Inside the house Now, if you or another member of your family is injured, obviously, it's going to be most likely a burn injury. Hopefully, you're not using fireworks so strong that they blow your hand off. Oh, Uh, my goodness. uh, Call 911. Go directly to the emergency room after running cool water on the injury. Uh, If you followed these tips, you kept your family safe and gave yourself the best chance of a healthy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day, everybody. Hey, another thing that's hot besides a (laughs) sparkler is... The, a heat wave, and sure enough, in the last week or so, we have been in the midst of a pretty terrible oh, one in boy. the center of the country, right? And also I think in it's the east. Shot
1: down here a little bit.
0: Yes, that's right. It's been pretty hot Oof. down here. But then again, of course, it's always pretty hot down here in South Florida <laughs> in July. It
1: is not to be unexpected, my love. That's exactly that's exactly right. And
0: actually, some of the interviews that I've been asked to do on radio and uh, other places have. Been mostly about this the heat wave that we're experiencing. A lot of people consider a heat wave to be, be just some kind of event in which you put an ice, extra ice cube in the lemonade, but the truth mm-hmm. of the matter is, it is a deadly natural disaster. More people die in heat waves in the United States than just about any recent weather event, short of I guess Hurricane Katrina. Uh, there's been a recent heat waves every year mm-hmm. in different parts of the country right now it's in the center of the country and also in the uh, eastern part of the country last year it was in the southwest and the west it caused temperatures back then to reach 124 degrees in palm springs california 115 degrees in tucson arizona yow by the way the highest temperature ever recorded on earth was 134 degrees <gasps> in death valley California. What? Well hundred
1: and thirty four. Degrees
0: in Death Valley, California in nineteen thirteen. Wow. It's been hundred years since then, but or more, so hopefully we won't get that. But if you're believing global warming, uh oh. I'll tell you it was pretty hot back then too.
1: Yes. <laughs> That's right. That's crazy.
0: Well heat waves cause large numbers of death by deaths, by the way, and this has been pretty common in recent years and in places that you might not expect of one place you might expect the heat wave Would be in places like India And indeed in 2015 Thousands died in a major heat wave there But it also happens Other places too There was a European heat wave in 2003 In which tens of thousands of people died Mostly older folks in areas That didn't have climate controlled buildings Which were actually, actually If you've ever been to Europe That's probably most places Yeah, That's true uh, What's happening with the heat wave here is there's a heat dome that's being formed and the heat dome is caused by hot air that's unable to escape Due to high pressure systems over much of the central part of the country and the east uh, These systems, they act basically like a lid on a pot They cause temperatures to soar and it can be pretty crazy And Making matters worse, of course, is the heat index Which makes it feel even hotter the heat index is calculated from the temperature, but combines it with the humidity, much like wind is a combination of the air temperature and wind speed. High humidity limits the ability of the body to sweat. So one of the important ways that we use to get rid of excess heat is actually limited by a high heat index. So it's expected that due to the heat index, residents will feel as if the temperature is maybe 10 or degrees or even more. Than what the actual air temperature is. Now, in some places like the Midwest, uh, the excess hum- humidity may be coming from cornfields. The huge amount oh, of yeah, huge. That makes right.
1: sense.
0: Interestingly enough, corn sweats much like a human does in hot weather, and it causes a great deal of humidity to enter the atmosphere. Oh my and gosh, I never thought about that. Right, but,
1: but you're right.
0: That increases the heat when index. When you
1: feel a uh, your corn that has its silks on it feels kind of wet right you know you definitely the the outside covering you could tell has a high moisture content of course each corn kernel is filled with water too that's why corn needs so much water to grow but (laughs) uh that does make sense absolutely
0: you're right but it's not just rural areas that are going to feel the heat you know that Urban areas wind up with a lot of paved roads, a lot of concrete buildings, right, in Mm -hmm. cities. And this concrete, this asphalt, absorbs more heat during the day, and it cools down slower at night. And so cities are essentially heat islands. And what happens is, is the nighttime temperatures stay high, and you have less relief from the heat during the night, which is what we used to be able to depend on back in Days when there weren't giant urban centers Now the funny thing is that you might think that Areas like South Florida are Where most people will have major issues South Florida has a subtropical climate year round But the thing is, is the citizens of places like Miami Are accustomed to heat And so there are less heat related deaths that occur there Than would be in other parts of the country That normally have milder weather And also in South Florida, it is considered essentially required to have some kind of climate control, air conditioning, things like exactly. that.
1: Exactly. Although I will say, I grew up down here with no air conditioning.
0: That was terrible. I mean, it I don't know how, you, I don't know how you did It was worse than terrible. It was pretty bad. My try my blow, grandmother did too. I remember yeah, that. Well, New try Oregon blow
1: drying your hair before you go to high school in the morning with no air conditioning. After you just took a steamy shower.
0: No, oh my well, yeah, I didn't do so a lot of So the bathroom's hot before. already.
1: The yeah. bathroom's steamy. There's no air conditioning to cool it off, and now you're trying to blow dry your hair in that same bathroom. Yeah, it was miserable. That's all right. I'm stronger for all the terrible things that have happened to me in my life.
0: That's right. What doesn't... Not that make... that was
1: terrible, I'm just saying, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger.
0: There you That's go. That's my attitude. There you go. So anyhow, <laughs> residents of Miami less likely to suffer heat stroke, but places like Minnesota, for example, that don't have climate control, perhaps, might have... Less experienced people that live In Minnesota might have less experience With heat, extreme heat and some Buildings may not have air conditioning And that puts people like that At risk for heat related Emergencies things like heat stroke And uh, of course Older folks might have a Limited ability to seek help These people are especially at risk As well as people that are just not used To being in hot temperatures Now we've talked in the past About heat related emergencies like Uh, Heat stroke and heat exhaustion And Survival's Edge magazine By the way Even published an article of mine On the subject Just in a recent issue But don't take my advice Let's talk about What the Arizona State Department of Health says That's somebody that should know About heat waves And this is what they recommend To prevent becoming A victim of one You should drink At least two liters About a half gallon of water a day If you're mostly indoors And one to two additional liters Wow that's a lot For every hour of outdoor time In other words You should be continuously drinking To prevent becoming dehydrated And succumbing to the heat
1: Just like you said Like constantly
0: Right You should avoid alcohol and caffeine You should drink water And water with electrolytes Things like Gatorade Before you feel thirsty You fill up that tank Keep it topped off (laughs) Essentially Whenever you're out In really really hot weather Especially if you're in those kind of climates Uh then you're not used to it. You should wear lightweight, light-colored clothing so that the sun uh, reflects off it as, as opposed to absorbing the heat. Use a sun hat, not just a baseball cap, because you got to do something that will cover the back of your neck and your ears and your face, uh, more than you, even more than your face. So that's something that's very important. Or, or you can have an umbrella around. Uh, I know guys don't want to do that, but uh, <laughs> ladies, you know, in the old days they used to walk around with parasols. Well. Take an umbrella and use that to deflect the sun's rays. They suggest eating smaller, more frequent meals instead of large ones uh, and avoiding strenuous activity in the midday if you possibly can. Stay indoors as much as you can in those situations if there's a heat wave going on. And if you have to exert yourself on warm days, take regular breaks. That is so important. A lot of break take a lot of breaks so that you can drink fluids and basically don't overexert yourself. And get
1: back in the shade and really take it easy.
0: Right. In addition to what Arizona the Arizona Department of Safety says, I would also add to time those exertions that okay. you have to be out and about for times like dusk and dawn maybe a twilight, nighttime, you know, these are times that you really have to be out, and especially exerting yourself, and, and I always recommend this in survival settings, is do that at, at times when the sun is not directly overhead. That is so, so important. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit, you know, we haven't talked uh, for quite a while about natural remedies and... Now, of course, conventionally trained physicians like myself, we don't get a lot of education and training in the benefits and use of natural plant products that might have medicinal benefits. And I
1: hope that's getting better now, and though. I hope do that, you that you is, too. Do you think they're having some more classes in that? I shouldn't I think so, say even more. I should say any.
0: Well, the truth is I think they probably are, but I think they do do it here and there. And I think that some people or some medical students... Take it to heart or uh, pay attention during those classes yeah. and other ones just sort of snooze through it.
1: <laughs> well, my, well, my question would be is, what is their skew? Are they telling the students, hey, you're going to hear a lot of patients say, I'm taking this, I'm taking that. And basically what you're going to have to do is tell them that that's all nonsense. That's right. all hooey. Bunch is of that, hooey, is right? that what? Do you think that's what the professors are saying?
0: Well, I think it depends on the professor. You have a professor who was a hippie back in the day, you know, then...
1: Might be more open to Might be a little more
0: open. But the thing is, is that in survival, whether you are a hippie new age type or not, the truth of the matter is, you have That's to use... That's what's going
1: to be left. You
0: got to use all the tools in the medical woodshed. And yep. if you believe that there's going to be some kind of long-term event one day, mm-hmm. well... No matter how much of the conventional stuff That you manage to stockpile Eventually it'll run out And you have to look to some self-sustainable Method Some way that you can grow Things that have medicinal benefits right. and So you have a great medicinal garden uh, In our backyard lots, lots and lots of stuff Both inside the patio and out And I think that it's really important To be able to use those To help make people better now a lot of things do have medicinal benefits and that is i think something that is so important that people really don't realize that they can stockpile all this stuff but eventually if really a long-term event occurs it's gonna be dispensed at one point or another now pharmaceutical companies they don't have a lot of time uh, or energy, or incentive to research natural products. Sometimes, for sometimes for reasons other than profitability. I mean, the beneficial effect of an herbal product is dependent on a lot of different factors that are hard to sort of standardize, like is required for for pharmaceuticals. Um, the, some of the same factors that govern whether a particular vintage of wine is good or bad. It works for medicinal herbs things like soil conditions weather rainfall temperature time of harvest the method of harvest and so much more goes into what you actually get are you going to have a good year for this particular herb or or are you not going to have a good year still you know you got to do what you can with what you have where you are that's what old president theodore roosevelt used to say and so you got to look into what you can grow that may help. Now, one of the plant products that has some hard data behind it with regards to medical benefits and not just the usual hooey that you (laughs) would think that some people people think uh, about medicinal herbs is turmeric. That scientific name is curcuma longa. And one of its active chemical compounds is called curcumin. Turmeric is a... Uh, flowering plant. It's a perennial of the ginger family. It's native to the Indian subcontinent in Southeast Asia, but it's certainly easy to grow here in warmer weather. Uh, Plants are gathered annually for their rhizomes. Rhizomes are horizontal underground stems, which put out shoots and roots at certain intervals. And rainy, warm climates uh, will give you a really good yield of this kind of plant. Now, rhizomes that you harvest are made either into powders or saved to propagate for more plants next season processing simply is pretty simple and that's of course something that really makes it useful for the survival medic you just simply boil it in water for about 30 to 45 minutes and dry it in an oven or a you know some kind of of heat source that you can put together and when you do that they becomes the orange yellow powder that's used in a lot of asian cooking like curries for example they can also be used interestingly enough as a dye and that's interesting because some of the first antibiotics were actually uh, processed from dyes and they are a common ingredient in indian medicine that's called ayurvedic medicine i may not be pronouncing that right but uh, it's indian Medicine And the curcumin that is found in turmeric is thought to have a lot of anti-inflammatory pro- uh, properties Turmeric, therefore, has a lot of different medicinal uses Some of which have data behind it, some of which doesn't And I'm not saying that that's because of quackery or anything like that But it's just insufficient amount of scientific studies hard, not, enough, not enough hard data there to really be able to say now, there are so many conditions for which turmeric has been reported to have beneficial effects. You can almost not be able to write them down. Here's, here's a bunch of them. Arthritis, joint pain, heartburn, stomach pain, diarrhea, gas and bloating, irritable bowel disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, stomach ulcers, liver problems, gallbladder disease, jaundice, high cholesterol, respiratory infections, including tuberculosis, Skin itching, ringworm and other fungal conditions, skin sores, infected wounds, acne, diabetes, uh, autoimmune diseases, parasitic worms, kidney problems, urinary, other urinary problems, gum disease, Alzheimer's disease, sprains and swelling and bruising from sprains, eye swelling, eye infections, fibromyalgia, leprosy, leech bites, recovery after bypass surgery, cancer, oh my gosh. Gee, guys, call me skeptical, but the odds of one chemical compound treating all of the above stuff is pretty darn small. Plus, all that above is by no means a complete list. As a matter of fact, Turmeric was recently recommended to me as a long-term treatment for high blood pressure. Yeah, I'm giving it a shot, but I haven't stopped my regular meds, as you can imagine. Now, if you look at WebMD, though, WebMD.com is an excellent website. It has a lot of information in plain English, so definitely check it out. It reviews claims that regarding various natural products. So you actually can look up turmeric, for example, and see what there is actual scientific data for or what there isn't and what is obvious, what it is definitely not shown to help. Now, Often a statement, I have to say, that this or that natural product has little or no evidence for working against a particular disease. But indeed, there is some data that's supportive of the use of turmeric for a number of conditions. I've reviewed a number of herbal books, both some of my really old 19th century ones and some of the more recent ones, for their recommendations. Uh, Not all of them will agree with what I'm about to say, but here's some of the data regarding the claims uh, on turmeric, now there is good news. High cholesterol research suggests that turmeric extract, if you take it orally about three times a day, reduces the total cholesterol both and the bad cholesterol and the triglycerides, especially in those people that are overweight now arthritis turmeric extract can reduce pain and improve improve function. In people with osteoarthritis So much so, as a matter of fact That it it seems to work as well as ibuprofen But maybe not as well as stronger drugs Certainly not narcotics Let's see, skin itching Well, itching isn't usually a life-threatening illness But it can certainly make you miserable Taking turmeric daily Is apparently helpful over time With some types of itching Especially itching related to issues with the kidneys If your kidneys aren't working as well Maybe turmeric may be helpful Of course talk to your doctors about that Before you do any anything regarding any Either natural or uh, pharmaceutical product Eye inflammation uh, There is a condition called anterior uveitis In which you actually have a part of your eye that's inflamed There is some research that suggests that taking Kermarin uh, might Curcumin, rather, might improve long-term inflammation of the eye. Now, Crohn's disease, irritable bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, curcumin from turmeric, if you take it daily for two months, may actually reduce the number of bowel movements, diarrhea, and stomach pain in people that have Crohn's disease and irritable bowel syndrome. That's pretty impressive. And taking turmeric by mouth four times a day for a week might even improve upset stomach symptoms of people that are in the midst of irritable bowel syndrome. This is also thought to reduce symptoms for another chronic bowel condition Known as ulcerative colitis, a really terrible one which you can have bleeding and a lot of discomfort So if you have diseases in this family, well, you know what? It may actually be pretty good Now if you're depressed, early data suggests that taking cur- cur- curcumin Twice daily for six weeks Is as effective as taking Some antidepressants They actually tested it against one called fluoxetine And seemed to think That it worked just as well As taking the antidepressant Itself If you have early forms of diabetes Or pre-diabetes Maybe taking curcumin twice a day for several months May delay the onset of the Full-blown diabetes syndrome So A lot of things, I'm not even done here Gum disease, uh, turmeric Mouthwash may be an effective way For reducing bacterial levels In the mouth and thus may be gingivitis Even if you already have the condition For joint pain Actually taking a combination turmeric Product called Instaflex Joint support, taking it several times Daily for about 8 weeks Reduces the severity of joint pain Although it doesn't apparently Improve your ability to move the joints. Sometimes these research studies suggest that something reduces some of the symptoms, but not others. It also has been thought to reduce some of the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis more than conventional drugs, but not some others. So there's a lot of different things. There are specific things, little things that it may help, uh, there's a specific skin irritation called lichen planus and That seems to improve with curcumin three times a day for a couple of weeks And, well, it's very possible that if you have things like kidney issues Or systemic lupus erythematosus If you have lupus, an autoimmune disease That it may help with high blood pressure Now here's one you didn't expect Turmeric may have an effect against some forms of colon cancer Wow, What? Combinations of turmeric extracts might stabilize if you take it regularly, some signs of colon cancer. And applying turmeric ointment may give symptomatic relief from skin lesions that are associated with certain cancers. So that's pretty amazing that they would actually be able to say that on a conventional website like WebMD. Lastly, there are certain combinations of products that have turmeric powder may reduce PSA levels that monitor, monitor prostate cancers. uncertain whether the risk of cancer progression or recurrence is affected, though. So that is something that is uncertain. And one last surprise, if you're given cur- curcumin starting three days before a cardiac bypass and continue for several days after surgery, I don't know how they would give it to you because I'm sure you wouldn't be able to eat before... A short period of time at least afterwards now, The risk of a complicating heart, complicating heart attack After the bypass is actually decreased uh, That is pretty impressive Now there is I'm just giving you a bunch of good news there But there is bad news And that is for stomach ulcers Taking turmeric three times a day for eight weeks In one study did not improve stomach ulcers And upping the dose still didn't work As well as just taking conventional antacids For Alzheimer's disease, well, early research showed that taking curcumin made from turmeric daily for six months had no appreciable benefit. Stomach ulcers caused by H. pylori also do not seem to be improved by taking daily turmeric. And there's a lot of other news that is sort of who knows news. And this category contains uses for turmeric with little or no scientific data at all. So it may or may not have benefits for some of the conditions that I mentioned before, like acne, hepatitis, diarrheal disease, fibromyalgia, liver disease, gallbladder disease, female issues, ringworm, bruising, or headaches. Of course, all medications, including those derived from plant sources, can have adverse effects. Curcumin is no different from turmeric, especially when you use it at higher quantities. Now, turmeric is considered likely safe by WebMD. If you take it in normal doses orally But it could possibly thin the blood And could also do things like Decrease your sperm count Lower your iron levels in your blood Worsen gallbladder, sugar And heartburn issues in some cases As turmeric has certain estrogen hormone similarities It should be avoided by those people That have maybe cancers of female organs Cancer of the uterus or things like that And of course Anybody who's allergic to turmeric Probably shouldn't take turmeric or curcumin In pregnancy, by the way, you have to avoid turmeric in any quantity higher than, that's, is, than that is found in food uh, I have a link on my turmeric article on our website at doomandbloom.net That basically gives you the dosing for turmeric for various issues Unlike a a lot of other natural substances, though, there seems to be, I think you'll agree, more data for some medicinal benefit for turmeric and curcumin than a lot of other herbs that are popularly thought to be panaceas or or cure-alls. Results have to vary, though, from individual to individual. You have to expect that, so temper your expectations with common sense. In any case, it's really important to use all the tools in the medical woodshed, natural and conventional, if you want to have the best chance of succeeding even if everything else fails. Hey, you know, the great outdoors is, well, great, but there's also danger in them thar hills, and it pays to know what to do when you encounter it. If it's summer, well, you might easily encounter a critter, like a snake or a bear during a black country hike, or even in your own backyard. So let's talk today a little bit about bear encounters. Bears are mammals of the family Ursidae, And I'll bet you don't know what their closest living relative is. What's their closest living relative? Well, it's seals, interestingly enough. There are a number of species of bear, but the one most commonly found in, uh, well, I guess in the U.S. is the American black bear. Uh, Of course, in the Smoky Mountain area where we spend part of our time, 1,800 bears live in the national park. And many of them have become very accustomed to human. Out west, of course, there's the grizzly bear, the brown bear. That's a even more impressive specimen that you have to watch out for. And you might be on the menu for a bear, but the truth of the matter is they'll actually eat more plant matter than meat, taking in opportunistically better, whatever they can really find, like acorns, carrion, or maybe you. There are years in which there are poor crops of plant foods like acorns. By the way, they... That kind of plant, type of food is called mast, M-A-S-T And what that does is that results in bears moving out of their backcountry territory To look for alternative food sources like your trash Even though black bears are only about 8 ounces when they're born Boy, they can get pretty big The males, also known as boars, like like male pigs Can weigh 500 pounds or more And this puts you in some pretty significant danger No matter how cute you think these critters are Grizzly bears or brown bears are much, much larger, maybe a pound at birth, and that they can reach weights well over a 1,000 pounds. According to the National Park Service, there is really no single strategy that works in all bear encounter situations that guarantees your safety. But there are ways that you can assess a situation and possibly keep yourself out of danger. Of course, the first thing, situational awareness. That's the order of of the day, isn't it? Don't just look down the trail, look all around near you and farther away as well. watch for s- signs of bear droppings, fresh tracks, um, trees that may have been uh, scratched on, uh, disturbed trash like food uh, that might be uh, ripped up in you know plastic bags that might be ripped up that the bear has gone through. And of course, watch for actual bears, right? Good idea. Now, when you encounter a bear, hopefully, it's going to be at a pretty significant distance. What that means is that you need to keep that distance and avoid surprising it. If you want an up-close view of a bear, please take binoculars. Now, if the bear doesn't see you, what you should do is... And and this is a big issue because, my gosh, there are so many people that are nuts about bears. You should never approach, crowd, pursue, or displace a bear... The bear changes its behavior because of your presence. You are too close. We see so many people stop their car in the national park. They get out, approach bears, and this is a mistake. As a matter of fact, it's not just a mistake, it's a violation if you're in the park. For example, Yellowstone National Park requires visitors to keep a distance of at least 100 yards. That's 300 feet. And Shenandoah Park, in Virginia recommends 200 feet now I usually see people get closer than 50 feet and boy oh boy that may not make sense now if a bear doesn't see you if you see a bear a bear doesn't see you try to keep out of sight and go slowly behind and downwind of the bear if the bear does see you though what you should do is slowly retreat the way you came the National Park Service also suggests going sideways that's I guess, less chance of tripping and falling uh, by doing that. But, you know, what? I read to them, when I read this, I'll tell you, I said to myself, how far sideways can you really go on a trail? You know, I always say that, you know, I've hit... Some people have hiked the length of the Appalachian Trail. That's a pretty long way. But I say I've hiked the width of the Appalachian Trail. That's not so long. And so how far sideways can you go before you're off the trail and in the brush? What can I say? Now... Some basic advice, you should hike in groups whenever you can 90% of people injured by bears in Yellowstone, for example Were alone or had only one other hiking partner I would guess this is because maybe a, a mass of humans appears larger And probably has more of a distinct smell than a single person And that could be intimidating to a bear You should always make your hikes during the midday if you can uh, you should avoid hiking at dawn, dusk, or at night, which is bad news for me because I like hiking early in the morning. But the truth is, in warm weather months, this is these are the times, dawn, dusk, and at night, the bears are out and about. Now you're most likely to come upon a bear in these situations. And remember, you're most likely to come upon a bear as it is to come upon you. In, in our neighborhood, in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, we usually see them pretty early. Uh, In the morning or in the very late afternoon So let's say a bear has noticed you And is now paying attention to you Some attention you definitely do not want to experience There are additional strategies that can help Prevent the situation from escalating The park service says to identify you By talking calmly to the bear, I guess So the bear knows that you're a human And not a prey animal Uh, You should remain still they say They say stand your ground But slowly wave your arms So that they know that basically You're some kind of human I'm not sure how they know this But that's what the park service says Uh, the, The bear may come closer Or stand on its hind legs To get a better look or smell at you Now a standing bear is usually a curious bear Not a threatening bear But it can of course become a threatening bear If it decides to start following you And uh some of its attention is clearly directed at you, and especially if its ears are erect, really paying attention to you, well, you know what? It could start being in predatory mode and not acting defensively. In these situations, you got to remember that you should stay calm. Remember, most bears don't want to attack you. They just want to be left alone. And bears even sometimes bluff their way out of an encounter by charging and then turning away at the last second. You don't want it to get to that point, hopefully, but uh, this is something that may happen This is what the, the park service says The thing with bears Is that they have a certain look Defensively At least black bears do They sort of woof They yawn They growl They, they react defensively Basically And they, the park service Says continue to talk to the bear In low, low tones and That will help you stay calmer And it won't be threatening to the bear a scream or a sudden movement, they say, may trigger an attack. Now that's uh, different from what I learned years ago. They they wanted you to scream at the bear to look scary, and I don't know. Maybe that was just for black bears, or does, does that work for any bear that is hungry? I, I'm just not sure what a calm voice will do to deter an angry, a hungry bear. If you're a park ranger and you listen to our podcast, please send me. An email at drbonespodcast.aol.com To explain to me The rationale for this I, I do agree with this though That you should never imitate bear sounds are, you Don't growl at the bear You're probably unlikely to impress them And definitely don't make, make A high-pitched squeal If you're high-strung, ladies and gentlemen That's just going to make you look weak And probably wind up having the bear be more interested in you. Now, don't be between the bear and a way for it to escape or to vamoose. Always leave the bear an escape route. That's important. Now, if you have little kids with you, pick them up immediately. Don't give the bear any idea that they may be a a prey animal. Uh, A lot of these bears will try to take uh, baby deer and things like that. So just be very careful with regards to kids. Make yourself look as large as possible. Move to higher ground, perhaps. I think that's something uh, important. Be really careful about food. Don't allow the bear access to your food. If you, if you have food and you throw it at the bear, they say it only encourages the bear and makes the problem worse for others. Of course, if you were the... And, and because that will accustom the bear to getting food by being aggressive, and that's a bad thing. Now, of course, if you were the only person in the world... And a bear would go for your food and leave you alone to give you a chance to escape. Well, you see what I mean. Don't drop your pack; it can provide protection for your back, especially, and prevent a bear from accessing your food. If the bear's stationary, the ba- if bear's there, just looking at you and doing nothing else. Move away slowly, and that allows you. And I think you should go backwards, but you know, if, you, if there's a way to go sideways, you can do that. This allows you to keep an eye on the bear, avoid tripping, and uh, moving sideways is apparently also a non-threatening thing to bears. Um, I would assume a slow backward route while facing the bear probably wouldn't be either, but don't run. If the bear follows, stop and hold your ground. If it's a black bear and they're that interested in you, the folks at bearsmart.com say to act aggressively. Look it straight in the eyes. Let it know you will fight if attacked. They say to shout. And to make yourself look as big as possible. Stamp your feet. Take a step or two even towards the bear. Threaten the bear with whatever's handy. And the more the bear persists, the more aggressive your response should be. That's what they say at Bearsmart.com. But the truth is, you really shouldn't run. You can't use common sense. You can't outrun a bear. They're going to chase you if you do. Don't climb a tree unless you're a squirrel. You're not 10 years old anymore. It takes longer than you think. And your pursuer is a pretty good climber anyhow. Use a bear spray and fight for your life Because you know what, that is exactly what is at stake Kick, punch, or hit the bear on the face, the eyes, the nose With whatever you have Now be especially cautious if you see a female with cubs Never place yourself between a mother and her cub And never attempt to approach them Chances of an attack escalate greatly If she sees you as a danger to her cubs that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Well, oh my dang, where where did the time go? You know what? I am going to talk to you next week about this. It will be part two of our bear encounter story. And we're going to talk about the differences between how you should act if you are threatened by a grizzly bear or a brown bear and a black bear. There actually, there actually is a little bit of difference in terms of their recommendations for you. And also, we're going to talk about bear spray. Notice I don't call it repellent. It's not something you spray on your skin that's going to have bears leave you alone like uh, mosquitoes. But, uh, bear spray is a, a deterrent. Essentially, it is designed to stop aggressive behavior in bears, hopefully in their tracks. So. Lots of interesting stuff that we're going to be talking about next week on the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alden. I thank you so much for listening in this week. We'll be back next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us. Send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.